0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Connell. Danny Connell. back
1: to throw. First down.
0: He's his tight end. And Raja Bell.
1: Bell has done some things.
2: Twenty two to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me.
1: Well, um, you know the goals. You know, still, still, you know, you
3: win every game you play. That's all. That's all you can worry about. So it's a. Uh, In the NFL, you you take it one game at a
1: time. There's no no uh, advantage of doing anything differently, Um, you know. um, And that's that's all we can do. Just keep try to try to fight our way uh, back and
2: give ourselves a chance to uh, have a chance to win a division. Um, You know, no one's no one's running away with this
1: thing. That's all we can worry about right now.
2: Um I feel like this. That's so ridiculous. I feel like you ever seen like Showtime at the Apollo, the old Showtime at the Apollo. When when like you get up, you do your performance, and if it's not good Where enough, the, the sand the Sandman comes out and he gets you like with the hook and they pull that's you off the shot. Barris, get him out of there. What? Why does he need to
0: go to the? You Know podium? what he could do differently? Uh, he could throw the ball better. Uh, anyway, Danny, what like? <laughs> you did guys You guys wa- are
3: crushing my guy. You guys are crushing Eli. No, you well, know. Let it, me just tell you. Let's not get it twisted, okay? Let's not get it twisted. Eli Manning is 37 years old. He's getting up there in age. But here's the problem that the Giants are having, and it it's kind of similar to Florida State. We talked a lot about Florida State this year. The offensive line is as bad as it gets. Your boy, Eric Flowers, they cut this week. They had five guys playing totally new positions, five new starters on the offensive line. The thing I'm looking at thinking, well, why did they think that was going to be a quick fix? In the middle of the season, after four or five games, you're just going to throw in a new offensive line. It's going to fix all your problems. Eli is only going to be as good as his offensive line. And that's why you're seeing this team play so bad is because they have a horrible offensive line. And then it exposes Eli's weaknesses when he does look old because he can't move around. He's not mobile. Then they're going to look awful. Like this is to me, it's more about the offensive line than it is Eli's age.
0: Danny, do you know what I was just thinking while listening to you talking? I was thinking that you must be an old quarterback, but I want (laughs) to remind you that you are now part of. The Canel and Bell Show Off the Bench Podcast. You're an accomplished analyst. Eli Manning stinks. He's done. It has nothing to do with his offensive line. I'm sorry. Listen, but hold on. He's old.
2: Yeah, go ahead, Ross. No, I mean I just wanted to put these stats. Like um, they're one in five this year. Obviously, Um, they've lost 18 of their last 22 games. Right. And since the 2011 season when he won his second Super Bowl with Tom Coughlin, like as a starter in the regular season, Eli's 43 and 58. So like I get in all seriousness, I understand that their offensive line isn't very good and we make jokes and so on and so forth. I know Eric Flowers, you know, they tried him in a few different positions. I, I give you all of that, but I'm with David. Eli is bad and that sample size is big enough to declare that.
3: You know who Eli is? And I was thinking about this a lot. I think he's like a slightly – well, I don't even know if he's better. I think he's Joe Flacco with the Ravens. I mean, and they kind of both get this pass overall the big picture because, you know, Flacco has his one Super Bowl ring. Eli has his two. The thing that's the similarity with both of them, if you put really good talent around them, they can win. They can get hot in the postseason. They can, can, you know, take you to that next level. The problem is when you don't, they get exposed – as bad quarterbacks, because Eli is not doing anything different than he's done his entire career when he was winning those Super Bowls. He's always thrown a lot of interceptions. He's never been mobile. He's always done the chuck and duck. When the moment he sees uh, pressure, he'll chuck it and just hope it kind of gets complete, you know. And and then the problem is when your team is bad, he's going to look awful. Because yeah, he's 37, but look at what Drew Brees is doing at 39, what Brady's doing at 40, almost 41. I don't think it has so much to do with the age. It's the fact that this team is not very good. But the narrative is always, and it always is, when the team struggles, the quarterback gets too much blame, and when they win, he gets too much credit. Because I definitely feel Eli has gotten too much credit for the two Super Bowls, but he also is getting way too much blame now
0: for some of this. If he didn't have two rings and the last name with two ends in the middle, he would not. He would have been benched by now. And that's my you issue right now with the Giants. They've waited too long. As Raja said, was it Ra-Ra or Raja? Which one were you when you said that comment? It was awesome. <laughs> it was Raja. I okay. Mean, yeah, so went, yeah. When Raja said yeah. that it's a big sample size, he's right. If you're in the front office of the Giants, you just you have to sit him. Yeah. It's done. It's done. And you've waited. I mean, I couldn't imagine <laughs> us
2: being at a point where Saquon Barkley, your, your number one draft pick, could have 130 yards on the ground. Look like he was playing in like old Tecmo Bowl games. Like 99 yards like in the air and we would have the debate as to whether or not you made a mistake on picking him because that's how bad Eli Manning looks right now.
3: Well, see, that's the big dilemma up here and you're seeing that a lot of conversation surrounding the Giants is, "Oh my gosh, you have these this class of generational type quarterbacks. We, you know, the only one you couldn't have had an option with was Baker Mayfield because he went number one. But Sam Bradford, uh, excuse me, Sam Darnold was on the board. Josh Rosen was on the board. Josh Allen, you could have taken any one of those guys, Lamar Jackson, and you decided to say, you know what? We believe Eli has an, a window where he has two years left, where he, you know, two or three years left where he can win a Super Bowl. That all of a sudden is what people are questioning. Why did you think that? But I'm with you, Raja. I think Saquon Barkley is proving, hey, he was too good of a player to pass up there. And I still think they'll have a quarterback down the road, an option when Eli's done. But all of a sudden, like Kyle Loletta, they drafted him in the fourth round. He's kind of an afterthought, you know, maybe a flyer type pick. They're going to have bigger issues. But here's the thing. I don't care who they're playing back there. That offensive line, they're going to struggle. And it doesn't matter who plays quarterback because it's all built around the offense. I have to. I have to defend him. Here's the other thing. Odell Beckham Jr. is a big part of the problem. The problem wasn't that you passed on a quarterback. The problem that was you made your emotional leader an immature uh, irresponsible Stop. guy that's going Rich. to be a bad Stop. leader. Uh, we're, yeah. We're hanging dollars, this. Guaranteed. We're
2: hanging this on Odell Beckham Jr. That's where we're at right now. Two separate issues, no. Roger. Odell Beckham. But you just bad. said the problem wasn't that you drafted a running back, it was that you made him the emotional leader of your team. I I think, and I was just. Here's the mistake. Go ahead.
3: Here's the mistake. They gave
2: $65
3: million guaranteed, $95 million total to Odell Beckham, who is a bad leader. He's the emotional leader, but that's the problem. He's a bad emotional leader. They could have gotten somebody else to play wide receiver like decent and good be a good wide receiver then they could have spent some of that money where they need it most which is on the offensive line that's my point they locked up so much money in this receiver who's a bad
2: emotional leader for this why because because you say he's a bad emotional leader or david or myself because there are times there are times and i was in one where one player could be singing um the tune that everyone else is singing in the locker room. So in this case, everyone in that locker room may feel very frustrated and and just pigeonholed by what – like Eli can do, whether you think it's the offensive line or not, ninety-nine percent of that roster may be squarely on Odell Beckham Jr.'s side. But he's um, the
0: wrong person to sing the notes. Why? Because we say he is. No, Maybe, yeah, look, he if, if you pull, right.
2: if you pull to who he doesn't do it right for you or for the media or for who?
0: Yes, for
2: because I'm a fan. But the only, only because I'm me. The only person that the only people that really matter are the team. So when the team comes out and starts saying, "Hey, man, Odell Beckham is tripping," like that, now I will jump on camp with you guys. But as long as it's just us sitting behind a desk saying you know Odell Beckham's doing it the wrong way I don't buy that because there's not only one way to do it like sometimes to get something done if you have a franchise that is like buoyed to this aging like crummy quarterback and the rest of your locker room sitting around saying golly man we wish they would cut ties because you know we could salvage some of this season sometimes there's got to be a guy out there championing for that cause and I'm not saying that 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 is exactly what's happening I'm saying that i Don't know that I can just cast judgment on who Odell Beckham Jr. is because I did say he was a crummy teammate. And then I and and then I have to factor in like wow, maybe, just maybe, because I was in a situation like that in Phoenix when we brought in Terry Porter, um, no one really appreciated what Terry Porter was doing to our offense. It had been the best offense Here's in the league the for years. Hold on, Danny, and then and then I'm sitting in a cold tub with and I'm gonna call him out. Like I'm sitting in a cold tub with Steve Nash, I'm sitting in a cold tub with Grant Hill, I'm sitting in a cold tub with Shaquille O'Neal, I'm sitting in a cold tub with Amari Stodemeyer, and every last one of them are salty with what's happening with Terry Porter, right? And I'm the only one that's going out there because someone's got to say it, right? And so I say it. I wind up getting traded because of it, right? But guess what they wind up doing to Terry Porter no no more than like 10, 15 games later. They fire him season because everyone knew it was wrong. It just took someone getting out there in front of it and standing up for the team. Unfortunately, it cost me my head. And in this case scenario, like it may cost Odell Beckham, which brings me to my next point. Is it worth... Talking about trading Odell Beckham Jr. at this point, if Saquon Barkley is the future of your team, and now you have to go out and get a very young
0: quarterback, um, and you don't want a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. around him. I think he's untradeable with that contract. Really? I don't think anyone would take a chance because I want to keep it. And I, Danny, I want to hear from you because for me, it's a clubhouse issue. Keep it in the clubhouse. If you want to be in the hot tub, by the way, you were in the cold tub with all five guys at once. That must be one fit? hell of a cold tub. We had a big cold tub. It must have been huge. I
2: mean, th- there was a revolving door of people in the cold tub. Like you know, you might be in for three minutes. You your hands I was above the cold minutes, tub, so like, below the cold. I was tub. a chest guy in the cold tub. Like you I, were? Yeah, I, just get all the bad blood out.
0: B- below the chest? No, just right. Yeah, like right above the the, uh, the sternum there. Yep. So I'm just picturing Shaquille, you, and Nash in the cold tub
2: at once. The cold tub could fit out of four. Watching. It was a four person cold tub, so the fifth you person would have guys. So one would have got guys. out, and then one got in.
3: Here's the most okay. likely scenario, because I think there's truth in all Should of what Friday. we're saying. Because I think Raja is right. I think Raja is onto something that Odell is probably speaking of, uh, speaking out for a lot of guys. I don't think he's speaking for everybody in that locker room. It's probably you know 40%, 50%, maybe it's even as high as 70%. The problem is, it's dividing. It's dividing that locker room and it's dividing the message that's coming out of it. Because I agree with David. You've got to have a united message within that locker room, especially. The biggest problem is there isn't another option at quarterback. They're screwed. Like the the rookie they drafted is going to be a, you know, who knows if he's good. At least with Eli, you've got to at least fake it. Because if you don't and there are these mixed messages, then you're going to have a locker room that quits on you. And that's what I think could be the bigger problem for Pat Shermer. He is going to have a tough situation from here on out. Because I've been on some bad teams. When you get to the point, and they're not mathematically eliminated, but let's be honest. no, Everybody was looking at this team saying they're toast. That was a must-win situation they lost last night. If you lose the locker room and guys start showing up just for paychecks, just to go to work, you come drudge there. It is going to be a long season, and that's my biggest concern for the Giants. They're going to shut it down, and they're going to quit on their head coach.
0: I feel terribly for their – you have a situation where the head coach could be a one-and-done. Yep. You've got a wide receiver who's disgruntled, a complete pain in the ass, and making embarrassing the organization. But you've got a rookie running back who may be the best rookie running back that we've seen in a generation – And that story's getting lost. We should be talking about him this morning, and we're talking about old Manning. We're talking about the crappy offensive line. We're talking about Beckham and the embattled coach. That's disappointing.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with you, but let's move. So I asked the question uh, about trading Odell Beckham Jr., right? And whether he's untradeable or not, I guess my point is if if in a perfect world you could move him, right? Say there were teams out there that – like the Patriots, right? We're going to move on to this next Patriots-Chiefs game. But let's say you need a number one receiver. Like you deem that you have a quarterback that's still still viable. He's good enough to win maybe a Super Bowl. And the missing ingredient would be that dynamic playmaker out there if you were the Giants, right? Knowing – that this is a hard guy to work with. And typically when you bring in rookie quarterbacks, you don't want to have a receiver demanding the ball and just like that heavy-handed of an approach with this young rookie quarterback that's going to probably take some time to develop. Do you want him in place? And if you were the Giants and you could
0: get something for him, would you move him at this point? Or do you still try to hold on to the investment you made in him? Danny, I'll do front office very quickly, and then I want to hear you from a player standpoint. It's very hard for a front office to admit a mistake that early after signing such a big contract. But yes, I would move them because I would try to admit that we signed the incorrect player for the incorrect amount. Danny,
3: look, I, David, I, I think you're right. I think I know the Mara family pretty well. They're one of the most old school, well respected, you know, uh, you know families in the in the business. I do think they feel duped because Odell Beckham, this offseason, when he was up for his contract, he said, I'm done being a diva, I'm done with the distractions, I'm going to be fully devoted to football, you know, all that. And then he's sitting there with Little Wayne next to him in an interview throwing Eli Manning under the bus, throwing his coach under the bus. I promise you, if anybody called the Giants – the Maras and Dave Gettleman, they would take the call and they would have no problem. The thing is, everybody knows their issues. So they have little, zero leverage because teams would try to, you know, basically, you know, come with all these low ball offers. But if I was the Giants, I would not be surprised at all if they took those calls and said, sure, we'll take a deal. It won't happen because you mentioned the, the, the structure of the contract. It's so rich. It's brand new. I don't think it happens, but I absolutely think the Giants would be willing to say, you know what? He stabbed us in the back. He—this is not the Odell that we were promised. We'd be willing to move on from him.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, look, we went really long in that A block, so we'll have some more <laughs> foosball when we come back on off the bench with Bell and Canell. Ah. Um. So let's get right into it. We kind of teased it um at the end of the last segment. The game of the week for me coming up um is the Chiefs and the Patriots. Like I just. I, I like Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, Tom Brady is the gold standard. Um, so are the Patriots. But you've got this team led by Andy Reid, who since taking over. He's 2-0 against the Patriots, and he's won by a combined 42 points. Both of those games, he scored 40-plus. So it's it seems to be something that could be kind of electrifying offensively. Where, what's your take on it, Danny?
3: I cannot wait to watch this game. It's clearly the game of the weekend for the NFL. I think people, too, you have to remember what happened the first game of last season, When the Chiefs went into Foxborough and all this, then demolished them, like blew them out. And that was when everybody started to talk of, hey, the Patriots are done. Brady looks old. And then, of course, we know how that played out as the Patriots went on to the Super Bowl. Uh, And even though they lost, but they got things on back pretty quickly. I can't wait to see Patrick Mahomes, because I think he's the, the the like the young superstar who's having an MVP type season, see the 14 touchdowns and three interceptions. The issue is his play has slowed down somewhat against the Jaguars, a little bit ugly conditions. He didn't have a touchdown pass, a couple interceptions in that game. His last two games, he's been struggling a little bit. What does the master, Bill Belichick, the defensive mastermind, what does he have dialed up against all those weapons? should be fascinating to me. And then you're talking about the Chiefs, who have the worst defense in the NFL. Brady should have a field day thrown against them. So I think you could have, you know, this could be a passing of the torch, so to speak, with Brady up in the later years of his career and Patrick Mahomes just beginning to start his. I'd love to see these two going toe-to-toe, and I hope that overhits that 59.5, because this should be spectacular.
0: Danny, I'm going to say that Mahomes' torch could be snuffed this week, and here's why. We anointed him after two weeks as the next guy, the guy, MVP of the league this year, superstar, rookie, can do no wrong. He had, I think he had seven touchdown passes with no interceptions to start with. And that's like a guy hitting two home runs on opening day and saying he's going to hit 320 home runs for a season. You cannot possibly keep that up. Is it possible that Mahomes is the greatest thing since sliced bread? I'm going to say that if I'm bill belichick i'm taking it as a personal goal because i gotta keep myself occupied sure he's the grumpiest guy ever right (laughs) he's saying to himself what am i gonna do i'm getting a little bored i've won a few rings you know what i'm gonna make my homes look so bad this week that it'll just occupy me and thrill me yeah look there's something to be said for like we anointed patrick Mahomes
2: really early like the pace that he was on is not sustainable. It was not sustainable. Um, so I think it's natural that he had a little bit of a regression to the mean, right? Like he is a, a second year quarterback who really didn't have a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of experience in his, in his rookie year, but I still think he's been really good. And what I think we're discounting a little bit, although Bill Belichick is fantastic and he's this defensive mastermind and I'm sure he will do some things, um, to try to catch Mahomes off guard on the flip side of that. Andy Reid is just as capable offensively. And we talked about it, you know, a few, maybe a week or so ago, Danny, about how creative he is in his schemes offensively. So I don't want to discount the fact that while, while Bill Belichick will be doing some really cool things defensively to try to stymie Kansas City, I mean, they're going to have their own, um, you know, bag of tricks that they'll bring out offensively that might catch the Patriots off guard. And all of these are reasons why I think it's just going to be a fascinating game. So Dan,
0: Dan, I was just going to ask Danny, as a quarterback, do you get worried when there's new defensive schemes put in against you or do you get more excited when you've got new offensive schemes put in for you to match those defensive schemes? What's the mindset of Mahomes right now and Andy Reid in that regard?
3: So my last start in the NFL was on Monday Night Football. I was on the Broncos and we paid the Patriots. And I remember vividly Gary Kubiak was our offensive coordinator and he kind of had to sit down with and he was like, look, we don't know what we're going to get with the Patriots. Like we can go back, we can watch as much film as we can, but we know they're going to do something different that we haven't seen before. That's just the Belichick way. Like he's going to have a plan that's geared specifically to stop your offense. And you're not, there's like, you look for trends. You look like, you know, when baseball, David, when you're looking at pitchers, you're trying to pick up on tendencies. The hardest part about Belichick is he's going to throw the kitchen sink at Patrick Mahomes. And the big thing is, is Patrick Mahomes going to be ready for it because He hasn't been around that long because he hasn't seen, you know, 10 years of NFL defenses. There's going to be some things that surprise him. And I think you're onto something a little bit because I'm still a Patrick Mahomes believer. I think he, I, I said earlier I think he's gonna have 40 touchdowns this year, which would be a phenomenal year for him, but you have slowed down the last couple weeks, and you saw something similar happen last year when Alex Smith was the quarterback. They were they were almost just as good offensively through the first five or six games last year. The thing is, Andy Reid comes up with all these exotic schemes and uh motions, and he, you know, just he's very creative as an offensive mind in the offseason. He puts those in. Now that you've got six games of tape. Bill Belichick has been able to study those, does have a plan for those. So what does Patrick Mahomes do in game? How quickly can he adjust to some of those defensive adjustments? And also on the, to your question, David is what does Andrew read? Has he saved anything? Has he held anything back that he hasn't shown yet where he can get some guys running wide open for Patrick Mahomes? Cause that's what he did in the first four, four games of the season when Patrick Mahomes was lighting it up.
2: Alright, Danny, let's move on to, uh, the Bucks and the Falcons, cause this game features two of the NFL's, like, worst defenses. The Bucks are allowing 34.8 points per game. The Falcons are allowing not, not much better, 32.6. Um, Atlanta's allowed the fourth mo- well, with the most fourth quarter points in the NFL. So, like, this seems to be a shootout on paper, uh, and you probably have a perspective on it, cause I know you're a Jameis Winston guy. This will be his first start after coming back from the three game suspension. They were on a bye last week. How do you think this one plays out?
3: I think it's gonna be a, a shootout, like another one that's big. I- This on CBS Sports HQ, on the queue, as David likes to call it. I said Matt Ryan was going to be MVP of the NFL this year when they drafted Calvin Ridley. Uh, Seeing that Steve Sarkeesian had another year under his belt as offensive coordinator, I thought there would be a comfort level there. You look at their record, and there's no way he'll win MVP if they're playing as bad as they are on the defensive side of the ball. But Matt Ryan is putting up his career best numbers. As you're seeing a lot of guys are, the defensive rules have changed so much. But it's not him. It is on the defense of this Atlanta Falcons, which has been brutal. And I think Jameis Winston will have a field day against them. Jameis, if you look at him, yes, he's had his off the field issues and he's had his immature issues and he's in the, the Tampa Bay Bucks need to make a decision on him for the long term. but he has been steadily, steadily progressing with every statistical category. He's gotten better completion percentage, better touchdown interception ratio. And he actually has been better the last year or two, as far as staying out of trouble, because if you look at the Uber incident, which got him suspended, that was two years ago. It just took the NFL this long to dole out their punishment. So I think this is a huge year, obviously, for Jameis Winston. And I think he does continue to progress as a quarterback. The biggest question is, is he still going to progress as a person? And I hope he does, because I think he is a guy you could build your franchise around and a guy that his teammates actually like playing with.
0: I think that ship has sailed, Danny. And it's not about, uh, it's not about not giving guys second chances, but I'm not building a franchise around Jameis Winston. Just not, I'm not willing to do it but I was much more struck by the last full screen we had. Do you see the Falcons' defense? Yeah. If you're the Falcons' defensive coordinator, are you thinking I unlikely will be around for 12 more weeks? I, yeah, but I think that he probably gets a pass to some degree because they've been gutted by injury.
2: Like, they were gutted right down the middle of that defense, and – Like, Danny, I mean, you could speak to this more than me, but football, you have to build, like, defenses down the middle to some degree, right? Like, those are the guys that are, like, the point guards of your defense. You start losing two and three guys that play down the middle of your D, you're going to be in trouble, no?
3: Yeah, oh, for sure. The injuries have decimated this team, and Dan Quinn is a defensive-minded coach. He won a Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks as their defensive coordinator, so he is the guy in charge of this defense. But at some point, you've got to figure out a way schematically, even if you are playing with a lot of backups, to get some more stops. And they just haven't been able to do it. Um, like Keanu Neal was a, a guy they lost early, a uh, secondary player out of state. He was really a safety, like a, an emotional leader of that team. I thought that really devastated this team from an emotional standpoint. And Raja, you know how that goes. And David, you too. When you're in a locker room or a clubhouse and you lose somebody who's that kind of lifeblood of your team, it can really suck a lot of the wind out of your sails. And I think that's what the Falcons are missing is sort of that emotional centerpiece who keeps them together when they've given up a couple big plays instead of saying, Hey, we got to get back in there, start hanging your heads. You're looking around, you're saying, Oh man, this, we're just not very good. And then it sort of snowballs on you. And that's what you've seen happen with this Falcons team.
2: I want to switch sides of the ball. Like not that it really has anything to do with anything. It's just a curious thing to me. Why is Julio Jones, right? As good a receiver as he is, he's third ranked in the NFL in receiving yards. And, and he doesn't have a touchdown. And it, it's not just this year, right? But this has been like a theme with him and, and, um, and, and why can't I call his name, dude? Uh, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. Like, why can't they get hooked up in the end zone? Cause for, like, For comparison purposes, like his teammate Calvin Ridley, he's a rookie. He leads the NFL with six touchdowns. Like, I don't understand. Can you – How many many
0: red zone targets has he had? I I don't know. Isn't that the big question, Danny? If you're down in the red zone and you're not throwing at a guy, how's he going to have a touchdown? Yeah, I mean –
3: I think it's fairly simple, and I think it's a really easy answer. If you're a defensive coordinator and you're watching game from the Falcons, your game plan is to say, all right, how do we take away Julio Jones? So you put your best corner, your best defensive back on his side. Then you put a safety over the top to help him. So essentially you're doubling him or giving him, giving that best corner some help. And then guess what you have on the other side? You have a rookie wide receiver who's going to get the better matchup, oftentimes man-to-man against their second or even third cornerback. So you're basically, you're taking what the defenses are giving you. So Julio Jones, and I'm, I'm sure it frustrates him. Every receiver wants the statistics. They want the, you know, they want to get the ball thrown their way, but it really has been dictated by the defenses. They're giving Calvin Ridley all these opportunities and credit to Calvin Ridley who leads the NFL in touchdowns receptions with six because he's making the most of it but at some point I think you will see defensive coordinators say hold on a second you know we might be taking away Julio Jones but we're getting killed by Calvin Ridley and then you'll see it balance out and then that's what Julio Jones will get his uh, opportunities
2: the only reason I think that's kind of fascinating is because I, I get that you would double him but he's still the third leading receiver in the NFL like so it's it's not like they're stopping him. It's just it's just a fascinating thing that he could have all these yards receiving
0: um, despite the doubles and still not come away with any touchdowns. If I just you look at is, the best receivers in football history, they find ways to get six points. Yeah, up. I mean, if you're going to be catching balls, right? You're gonna, so it doesn't it matter to me.
3: So those adjustments are much more glaring in the red zone. The windows are tighter. You don't really have to worry about getting over the top of you. So when you do double him or when you do shade to his side – it's easier to contain him. So I think that's why he's able to have all these yards in the open field when you have a whole field to work with because you can work some more routes in there. There are more options that you can do. There's more space to work with. And then when you get in the red zone, it just tightens up a little bit. And again, I'm telling you, it's pretty simple. It's going to Calvin Ridley because he's getting the opportunities.
2: Right. Hey, let's, let me, uh, are there any other games that stick out for you this weekend? Anything else that we didn't touch on? That's a good setup there, Rara. <laughs>
3: no, just, no, seriously, it like, Danny, like, like,
2: no, but I mean, in pro in pro football, is there anything else like that 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 we didn't get to, like the the Dolphins and the 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 Bears we talked about a little bit? Is there anything else, or were these the, the two the two that uh, those are are the most two tantalizing? Biggest. Those are
3: the two. Yeah. The, those are the two biggest games of the weekend for me. It's a little bit of a slow slate. You got Monday Night Football without Jimmy Garoppolo playing against the Green Bay Packers. Um, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the NFC East is so wide open. Jacksonville coming off a loss, can they bounce back? The Cowboys are always interesting because of what's going on with Dak Prescott and Jason Garrett, like deciding to take the conservative approach, losing their last game like they're interesting, too. But as far as across the board, like those the games we discussed are out they're they're hands down the best matchups because there's a lot of kind of eh, so so matchups that are going on out there.
0: I don't think we have time to discuss this, but I do have to do this because I'm a Badger, and I've been down in Harbaugh in in Michigan, and I'm just putting it out there: the Badgers are going to beat the Michigan this weekend. Whoa! I'm picking it. Really? Yes.
2: All right. Well, we got all that up next. Like, I I mean, some props and all that stuff. Like, read your rundown. Hey, we got to go to break. (laughs) Read that rundown. You like those beats, My huh? Favorite part of the show right now. Moving the line. And I want to just go over like our, oh, our like stats so far. So before we get into it, the first game oh. on the slate is your game. I'm going to give you the floor and let you do what you do. Um, we didn't pick last week. These are stats from two weeks ago. Danny, 7 and 14. Now shut he it. I don't want to he hear it. He was 1 and so 4 let last me ask, week. I have a 1 and 2 in college, 0 oh, and 2 in pro. I'm talking over you. Raja, right? Okay. Not Raja, Raja. 13 and I'm 8. 3 and 2 last stats. week. 2 and 1 in college, 1 and 1 in pro. So those are, the stats are out there, right? What do
0: you guys, what, yeah. what's up? Raja, you're only good David. when there's no money involved. <laughs> That's
3: true. Yeah, David, right? I have a, so I feel like, and I'm sure you've seen this in clubhouses, I feel like the hitter, in baseball who's in this awful slump and you see him like that look in his eyes there's no confidence you feel like you don't even know what to do you're lost at the plate that's what I feel right now with my plate uh, my,
0: my Danny pit, brutal. Danny you need a slump buster and we have exactly. just the game to do it whatever your gut is for Wisconsin Michigan I want you to go George Costanza and pick the other way and that is how you will get out of your slump minus nine Danny Wisconsin at Michigan what do you got All
3: right, so I'm actually going to listen to David. It is that bad right now as far as a picker because I'm looking at this game. I think Michigan wins this game. I had them to cover, but I'm going to switch it. I'm going to say Wisconsin (laughs) keeps it close because David said to go against my gut. Here's the big issue for Wisconsin. They are too one-dimensional. Jonathan Taylor is an incredible running back. They're running all over defenses, but Alex Hornibrook is limited at quarterback. They're 102nd in the country uh, passing the football. They just they don't have enough to keep defenses honest. And as good as they run the ball, Michigan is 6th in the country in rush defense. I think they'll be able to stymie Jonathan Taylor, and that puts a lot of workload on Alex Hornibrook, and I don't think he's up to the task. And Michigan quietly has just been taking care of business. So I'll say Michigan wins, but Wisconsin with the cover, just because of David's philosophy. I'm going against my mind.
2: Oh wow. All right, so I don't know who to pick cuz both of these teams <laughs> present like problems in the polls for like the Canes cuz they're like marginally ahead of them. So I need the one with the weakest schedule remaining to lose give a pick, on Saturday. I'm just we're working This, this is why a we're running late. Um Listen, when I drive, we're always late. You guys, my wife, you guys, my kids, we're late. Um, all right. No, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with you, Danny. I'm not going to fade you because I do believe Michigan is handling theirs. I think they'll win, but I got Wisconsin, uh, I got Wisconsin to cover the number. So let's move on to the uh, SEC. I need LSU to win this one. We got Georgia laying seven and a half at LSU. I think that number's too big. I'm going with, I'm going with LSU in this one.
3: I like it, too. I think Baton Rouge is a really tough environment to play in. Georgia has not been tested at all. LSU has been tested a couple times. Granted, they lost against Florida. I think Georgia ends up squeaking this one out in a close one. But I do think LSU has some athletes on the defensive side of the ball that will present some problems for Jake Fromm. I think they'll be able to slow down Georgia's run game. I think this could be a typical, ugly, slugfest SEC Game of the week type environment, but I could see it coming down late to a fourth quarter situation. So I'm gonna say LSU covers on this
0: one as well. I've got? I've got Georgia by double digits in this one.
3: Ooh wow. Double Georgia digits. I would have problems. gone
0: Georgia with a line of eleven. Wow. Look at that.
2: Getting we're, cocky we're, on us. I like it. In, but, what what
0: what are you? <laughs> <starting>? <laughs> hey, uh, all
2: right, Danny, let's keep let's move to the NFL man. We got the Chargers at you know, at uh at Cleveland. Cleveland. Minus one.
3: So this is the one where I think everybody's going to start coming in on the Browns saying, hey, they've won a couple games. They're all of a sudden good. The Chargers are playing pretty good football, and nobody's paying attention because the Rams are out there dominating. The Rams are undefeated. They're the team of L.A. But the L.A. Chargers with Philip Rivers are taking care of their business. Their defense is getting better and better. I'm going to say the Chargers go into Cleveland, and they handle their business. I'm going to say the Chargers cover.
0: I'm going to say it's a tie. Game ends in a tie. So I'm taking the Browns
2: in the one point. All right. I'm going to go. I think the Browns, I think the Browns went out right at home. And I, I got what you're saying about Philip Rivers and the Chargers, but I have to fade you at some point during this segment so that I can get another game up. So this is going to be the one I do it. Uh, I'm going to take the Browns to win at home. Jaguars, uh, not playing as well, I guess maybe as people expected after their start. Um, obviously Leonard
0: Fournette's out. They're at the Cowboys, uh, minus three. What do you think? This is the penultimate game for Jason Garrett. I think he, oh. I can't see. The end is near, and I can see it from here. I'm laying the points. Laying the points. End of Cal' wow. end is near, I, and I can see so it Jason from here. Jason Garrett
3: what? with the penultimate <laughs> game. So hold on, David. What is penultimate game? Does this mean it's his last or his second to last? Second to last. Second to Second last. Second okay. to last. I was just making sure we had that we were on the same page. I think you might be onto something because I think Jason Garrett's days are numbered. I think Jerry Jones finally realizes, Hey, I can't have this puppet out there as my coach. I need to get somebody who can actually stand up to me and can go out there and coach an offense. They've been way too conservative. They're going to have to open it up against this Jaguars defense, which is pretty nasty. I think the Jaguars win in cover as well.
2: I think they cover two. You're going to put Dak out there. He doesn't have the weaponry or the O-line. Jags are going to get after him. Uh, so I have the Jags to cover. And last game, we talked about it, uh, last segment. We got the cheats and the Pat, uh, the Chiefs and the Patriots in New England. The Pates, jeez, uh, Louise. The cheats the Pates, and the, the Pates. The Chiefs and the Pates. Um, the Pat, the Patriots are laying three and a half. I, someone get me out of here. Please. I'll take the McCoys versus the Hatfields. <laughs> Who do you have? What do you got? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I'm going to take the Chiefs to cover. I could see the Patriots winning it, but I'm going to take the Chiefs to cover the number. I'm taking I the Patriots. See,
3: yeah, I'm taking the Patriots, too. It's a, I, I like the Patriots at home. I would love to see the Chiefs win because I'd love to see this dynasty broken up and more drama around, uh, you know, the Foxborough and see Belichick and Brady going at it. But they're so good in this spot, playing at home. I think you're going to see Patrick Mahomes confused a little bit. I'll be rooting for the Chiefs, though, because I love Patrick Mahomes, what he's doing in this league. But I think the Patriots right now, I think they're in a spot where they're getting right, and that is dangerous spot for everybody else in the NFL.
2: My brother. All right, Danny. Thanks for joining us, man. Go enjoy your hotel room. Go back to sleep. Hey, uh, set your DVRs to CBS Sports Network
3: tonight, 7 o'clock inside the SEC and 8 o'clock inside college football. Set your DVR. Raja, you better watch we're,
2: it. We're going to watch it gotcha. live, oh, Danny. Way to plug it, brother. I love it. All right, man. We got to move on to guys. some baseball, man. Later, brother. Um, The NLCS. Starts tonight, right? I said that right. Not the DS, but the CS. We are and up to the championship series, Raja. DS is divisional series. Division series. Div- just not divisional, division series. And then the CS would be the championship series. All right, so we got the Dodgers, Brewers, obviously. Uh Do the Dodgers finally get it done?
0: I, well the Dodgers made it to the World Series last year. Yeah, but I mean, do they,
2: do they get it done outright? Like,
0: so obviously you would have them progressing through this series if they were to get it done, so I guess. I'm, I got the Brewers winning this series. Yeah. Even though they, you know what they do now in sports, which makes me insane? They have statistical simulations mm-hmm. where they play the whole series sixty five thousand times, yeah, and they've got the Dodgers winning sixty six percent of the time that they do the simulation. Therefore, the Dodgers are favored. Yeah, right. What do you got on that? So you play the game, dude.
2: Like, play it. Yeah, play the game. Let me. But seriously, let me ask you a question because this was interesting to me, and I don't follow baseball like that. But Clayton Kershaw, they did not roll him out in Game One of the DS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're rolling him out in Game One of the CS, and I mean. Just as a casual baseball fan, don't you go with your ace to start like every they've had enough time off now, so it's not like the the
0: other pitcher would need yeah, more arm yeah. rest. So what's this about? Here's my theory. In a five game series, by having Kershaw pitch game two mm-hmm. in the division series, he was ready to pitch game five. Okay. Which would be the final game. Right Right. five game series. Oh okay. When you pitch game one of a seven game series, you can go one four seven. Ah, so, so you get him also times. pitch the last. Now, they happen to be going with Rich Hill in game four. But if they're down three games to one, or two to one going into game four, I'm not pitching Rich Hill with the risk of going down 3-1. But that's the Dodgers. They've, they're have they trying to go four deep in their rotation. The other issue for the Dodgers, they have much more pressure on them than the Brewers. The Brewers are the hotter team. Right. They haven't lost a game in three weeks. They forgot what it is to lose, and that's quite exciting in baseball because you're so used to winning and losing and playing every day. The Brewers just are on this roll – The question is, did these few days off hurt them? And I don't think so. I think if this series started in L.A., there would be a bigger problem. But the fact that it starts at Miller Park, they are a very good home team. The Dodgers, to me, are overconfident. And I think that if Kershaw doesn't win Game 1, it's not going to go 7 the way I've predicted. And if Kershaw does win Game 1, I still think the Brewers win the series. Wow. Um, Yasiel Puig uh,
2: has been good against against the Brewers this year, 6 for 15. I know you don't love Yasiel Puig, but he's out there making some bold statements. The last time he did it, you hated it. You said it was bulletin board material. It did not cost them. Um, but I guess in general, the Dodgers haven't been bad offensively against
0: against the Brewers. No concern there for you this year? Well, remember, the Brewers' starting rotation is so bad. Uh, they're going with Gio Gonzalez tonight. Right. They've got Chassin, who is available out of the bullpen, who's their Game 3 starter, so it's a normal bullpen day for him. But when you're talking about this series, you've got to talk about the Brewers' bullpen against the Dodgers' lineup. My issue with Puig is off the field I've got issues with him. On the field I have issues with him. He's not nearly as good as his mouth is big. <laughs> and to me, if you're going to have a big mouth, you better be good. Yeah. And I'm okay with, with that sometimes. You know, we talked about Odell Beckham earlier in the show. It just when your team stinks, close your mouth. I got you. So I'll put you on the spot. Who wins the game tonight? That's a tough one. I should, I want to ask Canal who he's going with because then I'll go the opposite and say that that's who's going to go it. I'm going to stick with the Brewers. You know, Kershaw's trying to turn around his postseason narrative. He's just been a bad postseason pitcher. Mm -hmm. I just love my Brewers. I love Milwaukee. I love that team. They have the type of team that's the storybook ending to a season that brings him to the World Series okay
2: all right well coming up next we got Dave Richards he's going to join us talk a little fantasy football um, and we'll get a, a Jimmy Butler update and I think you and I will probably have some opposite opinions on that so that's all up next off the bench with Cannell and Bell uh-huh. leftovers I don't know if this qualifies for leftovers because we got Dave Richards with us he's usually got some really good The main course a, guy yeah right seriously uh, Dave what's up man thanks for joining us
1: good morning uh, I'm wearing all black today. Uh, I'm wishing condolences to everybody who has Eli Manning on their fantasy team because you're probably not going to want him on your fantasy team anymore after last night.
0: He's done, Johnny Cash. He's done. My bad. Um, All
2: right, look, Dave, let me ask you a question, man. Let's get right into it. Why why aren't you as high on Jameis Winston maybe as Jamie and Heath?
1: Because I know that Jameis Winston isn't consistent, and I understand that the matchup is great, but this is his first start this year, and I'm not – Convinced that he's going to be amazing, and there's a lot of amazing quarterbacks out there in fantasy. So I think he's going to be good. You know, don't paint me with the brush. That I'm calling him Sid, but I I, I don't see him having a, uh, a 400 yard, four touchdown kind of day. I think he'll be among the better quarterbacks this week, but certainly not one of the best. All
0: right, what do you have on? What do you have in your sneaky sleepers? Wide receivers in the Colts Jets game. Talk about Chester Rogers, oh. Robbie Anderson. What do you got?
1: That's exactly where I was going to go. Chester Rogers is my favorite plug and play receiver off the waiver wire. So if you need help at wideout, and there's a lot of wideouts on by this week, all the Lions guys, the Saints guys, you can go and pick up Chester Rogers, put him in your lineup right away. Love his matchup in the slot against the Jets. They're not good at stopping slot receivers. And Robbie Anderson, you saw last week three catches, two of them for touchdowns. Deep ball threat. Indianapolis, secondary, is still battling injuries. If it stays that way through Sunday, I think the Jets are going to take some shots downfield. So again, if you're, if you're in a pinch at receiver, you can probably get Rodgers, but if you can't get him, you can go with Robbie Anderson. He does have some serious upside.
2: Uh, Dave, what do we need to know about the fantasy game of the week, the Chiefs and the Patriots?
1: Start everybody except for like Chris Hogan and probably not Josh Gordon, but sort of those two players. I think everybody else is a go. Uh, I would imagine there won't be a lot of good defense play. There's going to be a lot of passing. And a lot of really good fantasy numbers for everybody involved. Games should be close to you know sixty-five, seventy points combined between the two teams.
2: Man, that's awesome. Dave, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for the insight um, on on fantasy football this week. Let's uh let's get to the elephant in the room, man. We've been we've been dodging it. Um, get your gloves, Jamal piece, dodging any. get your mouthpiece your headgear. Um, Jimmy Butler, and it is a mess. Uh this has been you know, Timberwolves had to then cancel practice on Thursday after he came to practice um, and was mfing everybody in the building and yelling at his general manager and his coach and his coach teammates, teammates, management. Uh, it's been reported by uh, George Sedano, a friend of mine, that Riley hung up on Timido, uh, Tom Thibodeau, the the general manager and coach for the Timberwolves, and called him an mf'er when asked uh, for more when he asked for more assets and a potential deal for Jimmy Butler. So it is a mess what's where, where are you at in this whole thing is this on Jimmy Butler is this on the organization do they get him traded does he do you want to keep him and, and spite him and have him just play out the season like we in That's the front office window
0: first for, when you have no leverage yeah. you have to pretend you have leverage when you're having trade discussions and i've been on both sides of that phone call the reason why he upped the asking price for butler is because he's got a major problem and he will not get taken advantage of by pat riley pat riley was going in thinking that he was going to ambush Yep. and try to get a discount for Butler because of the mess he's creating, and that's why they have that issue on the phone Right. If Sedano's right. I can't imagine – you know, you work with these guys all the time. I don't imagine that he called him an effort and hung up. You really don't want to do that because you to, there's only <laughs> – Their relationship is a relationship business, right? That's all. Sure. You have 32 guys to deal with, and that's it. As far as what I do, if I've got Jimmy Butler – I need to hold on to the team, and I've got to treat him the way I would treat the 12th man. I'm suspending him. You cannot come in and do what he's doing. It is conduct detrimental to the team. I would invoke the clause in the contract, and I would try not to pay him. And I would go to grievance. I would go all the way, and then I would trade him. He is not suiting up for me as the president of that team again. You're a spiteful man. Oh, no. I am just pragmatic when it comes to divisive A-Rod's. Who do that to your team? So you would you would
2: suspend him, try not to pay him, and then trade him a hundred percent. See, that seems like a bit over the top. Now, here's where I, I normally don't agree with you, but I do agree with you in this situation. I think Jimmy Butler has overplayed his hand to some degree. I, I have I am in favor. I've said it before of NBA players um, under the collective bargaining agreement that exists, leveraging their situation and and you know putting out there where they like to go in trade scenarios and and having the power to say, Hey, I'm not going to sign with you. So don't trade for me. I'm fine with all of that. Uh, but when you start doing what, what he's doing now, it just doesn't make you look good. Like you're going into practice, you're yelling and you're screaming at your teammates and you're, you're, you're yelling at your, your general manager. And, and um, you know, you're having interviews set up and you're just trying to manipulate this whole thing. Like, I don't think it's painting Jimmy Butler in a great light. And now I have to start to wonder about Jimmy because This is now two places that he's been and he's been hard to handle and and he hasn't necessarily played nice. It's a reputation. Yeah. Reports, reports then came out that with team, with USA basketball and he played with USA basketball. They said that he, you know, he didn't make a lot of friends on that team and he was kind of hard to deal with. So now I got to start to wonder whether he is, you know, that kind of guy to kind of beware of. Plus he's got knee injuries. You know, he's up there in age. He wants a max deal. You know, I do think that Minnesota has mishandled this from the jump. Like you should have never went out and traded um, what you traded for Jimmy Butler knowing the type of personality he was, and the type of personality that you already had when you have
0: Cat and Andrew Wiggins. I think he's talked his way out of a max deal, and I think that it's okay for players to use leverage in a collective bargaining agreement, but do it in the clubhouse, in the locker room. You don't have to do it in front of media. You don't have to make the story about you as you head into a season opener in a few days.
2: So no chance that they keep him. What happens if they just and can't they get a deal to. done?
0: you have no leverage now? What what happens? Be forced to.
2: If but, I could not pay him, I may release. If you're an opposing, if you're an opposing GM, like why, why? Why would you give up anything we'll to Jim Butler?
0: No, I'm too upset with you right now.